Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Uh, Roxanne Derhodge with Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in again today. Today I have Phyllis Reed Jarvis with me today. Phyllis, how are you doing? I am absolutely terrific. And I do mean that because, you know, with the COVID time, everyone is like, I'm fine. <laughs> no, but I, I'm doing really great. And I'm excited to be here with you on uh, on your show. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. So I'll tell you a little bit about uh, Phyllis and our, my paths have uh, crossed before we've, um, you know, explore some opportunities to work together. And now we have realigned again. So she's the CEO of Ultimate Potentials. It's organizational development business and consultancy. And their expertise is psychometric testing, customized leadership training and development, along with executive and strategic coaching. Uh, Phyllis and her team help organizations to achieve their goals. So Phyllis, you and I, you know, offline talked a little bit about, um, you know, I know initially when we had talked way back, there was some potential for some uh, diversity and inclusion training that we were mm-hmm. chit-chatting about, but getting involved with. And this was prior to all of the things that kind of erupted in 2020, um, you know, which of course that I think at that point, the world kind of um, had to yet again, I'm going to say no. not, 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 not listen, but yet again, had to stop mm-hmm. and really look at what was been happening. So, now, you've been doing this work for a very long time. So tell us a little bit about you and kind of what, you know, you're here doing this, this fantastic work, but what got you involved in this kind of work? And, and you know, is it a passion or is it something that kind of came upon you as you went? <laughs> I love the question. Again, thank you for having me on, on, on the show. Very, very excited and uh, thankful. So you know, this is a, it's a little bit of a journey as to how I, I arrived at where I am. And I'm a, an eternal student, Roxanne. So let's just put that out there. This is my third career calling. And um, I've always been in business, though. So I've always owned a, a company of some sort and always kind of just working my edge and contributing to society from that angle. Um, so in another life, I worked for the better part of 20 years as a registered dietitian in my own private practice. So I have a health and wellness background. And I did that. And uh, for the most part, it was an amazing career. I, I got to do so many incredible things just to affect people's lives and impact people's lives. And I was told in very positive ways. So I felt really, really good about that. But then you you kind of come to a, a point in your life, I did, where I felt there's a calling for me to do something else. So to take the better part of those 20 years of working as a private practice dietitian and working with clients and families and corporations, because we used to do a lot of health and wellness training in organizations, to take all of that and focus it primarily within the corporate environment. And, you know, I didn't listen to that voice immediately. And what I did, Roxanne, I said, no, 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 you just need to go get another degree. (laughs) And so I went to graduate school and I I got a master's degree in public health and and a graduate certificate looking at, you know, aging and health and well-being and so on. It was fantastic learning. And, you know, you don't take any sort of graduate studies without really being changed in how you're able to think. So that critical thinking that comes out of it. And so I finished the program and decided, okay, I should become an academic. That's what it is I should do. And I actually worked for a while at one of our universities, one of the oldest universities in our province. And it was such an honor. It's my alma mater. 
And um, I had the opportunity to work with folks in just different capacities, designing, creating courses and programs and assessing and evaluating. It was delightful and I loved it. I was filling in a, a term position and um, thought, you know, within the first six months in, yeah, found my calling. This is where I should be. But the voice kept coming back at me and it said, you're only here to learn certain lessons. And I didn't realize those lessons until I decided whatever happened and I decided, no, I'm just going to be full time in my own corporation and the focus will be on working with leaders in organizations. And I thought I would do it locally right here in Winnipeg where I'm living. Turns out I ended up doing it on three continents in the Caribbean, all over and different sizes of organizations and such. Mm -hmm. And the lessons that I needed to learn that I had learned during the time when I was a registered dietitian in private practice and when I was a director at the university, they all came together to really facilitate this process of where I can design programs, create programs, do the training, the evaluation and so on, and prepare my team uh, to best assist in um, serving our clients. So long story to your question of how did I came into this space? That's how I ended up in this space. So. Yes, it's interesting, right? Because I often say that every environment you're in, whether it's you're passionate completely on it or not, those, you know, there comes a synergy or, or like a cross section where you get to this point and you're doing these things and you're thinking, wow, I didn't think I could do this before. But then you kind of look back at your different roles and you realize you've been developing um, so many implicit and explicit skills that you may not be aware of until the new position dictates that you have to apply those skills. So well said. That's exactly <laughs> what happened because I, for years, resisted wanting to work within organizations because I just had this bias, right? But it was more of a, an unconscious bias towards leaders and corporations and greed and so on. So I had that sort of, you know, um, mentality towards business, though I was a business owner myself and still I'm a business owner. But the you're so right. The I was just being prepared to, for this role of really working with other organizations, other businesses to facilitate them to be a the best persons that they can be in order to work with their people who've been placed in their charge to help achieve the priorities, their goals, you name it. And to do so in a, in a holistic way, in a healthy way. I come from a foundation of health. So, right. I, you know, people need to be mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically healthy in order for you to achieve any uh, goals that you've set out. So yeah, my perspective has been shifted and I must say, I'm loving it. We've been doing this solidly. We're entering our seventh year of working in this capacity. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit because you do everything from psychometry and for anybody that that's a big word, but it means that basically they have to test and take a litmus test of what's really going on. And oftentimes organizations I know uh, will call in and say, you know, I'd like to learn, uh, let's do a stress management day or something. And mm -hmm. they may not look at the kind of the overall things that are needed within the organization to make real change. And in your place, Phyllis, I know with some of the stuff that you do, you're looking at psychometry and kind of what's happening. And then you're applying and applying, uh, you know, learnings accordingly. So let's talk a little bit about um 2020 and what we've been seeing and kind of, you know, the, the new term and for people that have heard it um, is BIPOC, which is basically looking at, um, you know, issues around diversity, inclusion, and just all the, the term BIPOC is black indigenous people of color right. and the impact today since not, and I, you know, before Phyllis and I got on, we talked a little bit about not that it's the first time that this issue has ever come to light, but it came mm -hmm. to light in such, um, I don't even know what the right adjective would be to use. Well, it's almost like it was just, you know, a shot out like a rocket taking, yeah. right? Because it, it was always there, always simmering, but it just went boom in 2020. Right, so. right. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about obviously leadership and you've been in, in corporations working with leaders before. And I think, you know, I've been in an executive, you know, in different wellness strategies for, for 20 years. 
And I was, I mean, I'm, for people that don't know what I look like, I'm brown and I'm from the Caribbean. I moved here when I was 16 years old to go to school. So I had a bit of a different kind of context coming to even North America. Um, And, you know, when you kind of think about it, and I was in the corporate world and really hadn't thought about it, but hadn't really thought about it at the level I was at. And then 2020 kind of, like I said, blows the door, they blows the door open where you have Uh to really look Uh at it. So with your work with leaders and leadership and company companies in tw- before and also into 2020 and present, what has been the impact in organizations with what happened with Floyd on, on that unfortunate day? Yeah. And, you know, George Floyd just represents the hundreds of other men and women who have actually sacrificed their lives for you and I to be having this conversation today and for organizations to literally now be saying, hey, what is our diversity, equity and inclusion, you know, um, policies or beliefs and perspectives and so on. So the quick answer to your question is definitely there has been almost a, a, a tsunami of leaders in organizations moving towards being perceived as being diverse, being companies that are equitable in their practices and companies that are inclusive. So you would be hard pressed not to find a company's diversity, equity and inclusion policy on their website. Um, What I have seen and experienced both as someone working with leaders within their organizations, as well as being a service uh, provider to say bigger suppliers. One of the areas that's really just taken um, more of a magnified approach is diversity suppliers. And so now I belong to many different organizations that are geared towards ensuring that diverse groups. So of course, women, because we're in that realm of being, you know, diverse suppliers, because we just Mm -hmm. are not the dominant ones in in the workspace. And then of course, the BIPOC community. So the Blacks, Indigenous, people of color, um, as well as LGBTQ plus and so on. So we're now seeing more organizations than ever who are becoming members of organizations that are supplying, providing opportunities for diversity groups. And I mean, I ended up getting a, it was a phone call and it was one of those unknown numbers, kind of almost like a 188 number that I didn't recognize. And what I thought Roxanne was just, oh, it's just those, um, you know, tele calling people. And I ignored it. This came in on our work uh, phone brought to my attention. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's just one of those people. But they called three times and somehow found an email address to email me. And the long and short of it was it was a significant size organization that was seeking to do some leadership training. And they reached out to me because they had registered as a diversity supplier. And of course, Mm -hmm. I cover two of the diversity criteria. I am woman, identified as woman, and I'm a a black person. I'm a person of African heritage, which is my preferred term, but my skin color, people say is black, right? My heritage is African. So we got that. And so it's again, what I'm seeing across the board, even boards are looking at diversifying their makeup. And I hope we get a chance to talk about, you know, when the, the pedal hits the, what is it? The pedal hits the- The pedal hits the metal. Metal, right, <laughs> right. Or the rubber hits the road. I wanna talk about what this really um, is in reality. So a lot of the things that I have seen and am seeing are more some of the, the written policies but we've always had written policies around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it took 
the loss of George Floyd's, the, the murder of George Floyd, let me reframe it properly, the murder of George Floyd, the murder of Breonna Taylor, all of those beautiful people's lives that were snuffed out, even though we had written policies around, you know, supporting, protecting people who are in the BIPOC um, community. So yeah, more people, more organizations are looking to be, whether it's training, whether it's, again, the policies that they're putting out, whether it's um, uh, boards that are making sure now that more women and uh, more Black people, uh, Indigenous people, people of color are being part of these organizations, but there's still more that needs to be done. So I think I, I completely agree with you when you say that it's like when I was, uh, you know, way back into the EAP world, which is the employee assistance world. Mm -hmm. And that was the realm that I worked in is that a lot of companies at that time, it was like a rubber stamp. Yes. It was like, well, you got to go to my corporate website website on on the homepage at the bottom kind of ribbon, you'd see that stamp. And I think what I hear you saying is, and you know, for most of the companies that I worked with over the years had had a diversity inclu inclusion along with mm -hmm. harassment and violence. Is nothing new. Right. But what you're saying now is that, unfortunately, like to your point, these, you know, poor innocent people had to lose their, lose their lives for something like this to happen mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, it's naturally evolving into, um, you know, actual concrete steps of things that could be done, you know, from the micro level all the way to the macro level to ensure Absolutely. that we have, you know, that voice across the board. And, you know, I, and I talk a lot about authentic um, voice and leadership and things like that. And, you know, it, I, I feel saddened that it took something like that, but here we are now. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is that you're seeing organizations actually making um, shifts to create uh, spaces for people of diversity, inclusion, all those, and LGBTQ within their organizations. Yes, they are. What, yeah. what, are, what about within the organizations? Like how, you know, there's one thing we talk, I mean, I'm diverse and I, you know, I, I, my friends all sometimes will say to me, Roxanne, I forget you're Trinidadian because uh -huh. I said, that's, yes, that's, I am a Trinidadian, but I'm also a Canadian. Um, my, uh -huh. like you, my ethnicity is South Asian and, and Middle Eastern. Uh -huh. um, and I'm an overall person with lots of, you know, diversity. Many layers. Me. and yeah, lots, You're a human lots, being. Lots, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But within organizations and even in conversations I've had, Phyllis, now, a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about things. I, you know, uh -huh. let's, so we're talking about the leaders and, and, and they have to be able to ensure that there's parity at certain levels um, that flows from the top down, but even day to day within organizations now, how are employees kind of maneuvering that space about, you know, diversity and kind of inclusion and the fact that, there has changes it's no longer it has to it is being done what what do you think the context is in organizations now yeah you know what you raised some really important points there one of which I want to quickly address and it's what you shared about whether it's your friends who are likely they're white your friends mm -hmm. are white who would say something like I keep forgetting that you're a Trinidadian or they'll say things like you know I don't see color, right? So what's happening in organization is those kinds of conversations are not being had simply because people are still deeply uncomfortable to call out the proverbial elephant that's in the room. And the so-called elephant is that we are a diverse group. Of people. Mm -hmm. So I am a person of African heritage whose skin color is black, right? Mm -hmm. You are a Southeast Asian person. And so you say brown and, and there's an indigenous person and so on and so forth. The very fact that there's this discomfort in naming it, saying that I'm a black woman without having to lower your voice, lower your eyes or so, tells me, and the data supports it, that we still are not 
where we need to be, Roxanne, for us to have these important conversations, they're courageous conversations mm -hmm. around, you know, the whole concept of racism. Mm -hmm. So here's what's happening in organization. I had a conversation just recently with a, uh, you know, she's someone who oversees a program for which our corporation has been working with them for better part of 10, I believe we're entering maybe 12 years now. And it's a large organization here in, in, in our province. Wonderful person, beautiful woman, inside and out. She identifies as a woman. I would say that person, there's no bone of being a racist or anything in her, none. Just a, the, just a human being, beautiful human being. And we were having a similar conversation to what you and I are having. And I asked a simple question and I said, I'll call the person Mary. I said, Mary, let me ask you this. And I had prefaced it with my intent, that my intent is to make the point that we still are only making changes on paper via the policies versus the changes that need to be made through hearts and heads. And that can only come from conversation. So I said, here's how I'll prove that. I just need to ask you this one question. Do you identify yourself as a person who's from the white race? Do you see yourself as a racial person? No. No. I want to pause and let that sink in. So if you have black race, indigenous race, people of color race, da 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 da, well, who are the others? Are, are they a race? And so that is one of the courageous conversations, Roxanne, that needs to be had in organizations. And some of the leaders, the CEOs around the world, I really love what one of the Starbucks CEO, I believe she's based in the Seattle region. I don't know if you heard this story a year or two back. This young um, black man was waiting for a group of colleagues in a Starbucks and he decided to sit at the table. He didn't order anything. And they approached him, the staff, a white manager approached him and said, sir, you need to order something or you, you have to leave. And he said, oh yeah, yeah, I will. I'm just waiting on my buddies to join me. And she said, nope, you have to order something now or you have to leave. And he said, but I'm just waiting on my buddies. They just texted me, they should be here shortly. And then we're all gonna order. Long and short of it is she called the police. The police came. And of course, in the, in the US, when the police arrive, another police colleague and friend of ours described their arrival as that they interpret every call as a gun call. Mm -hmm. And I believe that young man lost his life. He too ended up just being killed just like that. Because as mm -hmm. far as he's concerned, he's just sitting in a cafeteria waiting for his friends to order. Mm -hmm. But if the race was switched, if it was a white male sitting there, or female, waiting for their friends mm -hmm. to order, not a problem. So we're still not having the kinds of authentic conversations that need to be had around the, the system of mm -hmm. racism Rather, what I'm seeing in organizations and um, you know, various companies and so on, Roxanne, is we're talking about events. This happened to so-so-and-so. This we need to not make sure, but we need to attack the system. And if I have time, I'd love to sort of just peel that apart a bit more mm -hmm. by what I mean the system of racism and sort of how it not only is, you know, an independent force onto itself that requires each and every one of us to now identify with our ethnic groups and the fact that we're identifying as humans, though we might look different physically, but we need to come together as human beings to actually steer this massive ship, this system called racism. Mm -hmm. And it's so powerful, right? And I think to some degree, um, I, when I moved here, I was 16. And mm -hmm. 
You know, I I grew up in the Caribbean, uh, and of course, there's colonialism there, and it's even more. I think it's it's out there, but it's not out there. It's understood. There's there's power um, that just happens because you're you're white or non-white in the Caribbean. Um, so you know, I have a a different perspective, but even though it's the same. So when I came to North America, you know, my president was black, my prime minister was Indian, my my you know dentist was Chinese. I had the the rainbow, mm-hmm. and then came to North America, and then was really felt different, really, really mm-hmm. different for the first time in my life. And I'm like, well, what's going on here? Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I went through something a bit different. And when I started to listen to young teenagers at that, I could kind of tell that, that it, they, they felt different. And I'm like, why do they feel different? You know, and I, and I, my brother-in-law, um, he grew up here mm-hmm. and he said, Roxanne, you know, and he would explain to him, my sister and I, because he was treated different growing up here from, you know, he was, he's Trinidadian as well. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Cause the reality, then you had to really kind of try to understand it, which was, mm-hmm. you know, even though I knew it, I hadn't experienced it to the level that he had experienced it. Um, and, you know, so I think what these conversations, Phyllis, without a doubt, I think we have to have them. Um, I have them with my friends and some of them have headaches because they, they <laughs> you know, they love me and they go, well, why are we talking about this? I said, because we need to talk about it. And they go, absolutely. You know, why, you, you know, why are you making us talk about this? I said, because we need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, in, you know, these are friends I've had for 30 years and, yeah. and we've never sat Good down. People. fantastic people amazing people and that is the point that I want to really drive home the fact that we live and operate within a system that is independent of our individual actions we must become absolutely aware of that mindful of that and by that I mean one of the there are a number of tenets on which the Western world and consequently places like the Caribbean, so countries in the Caribbean are shaped by them because of colonization. So in Western societies, the, they operate on the system of individualism. Mm-hmm. I, as an individual, Phyllis Reed Jarvis, I'm a good person and I do not discriminate against anyone and dare you to say, I am a racist because another person from my ethnic group did something that's considered to be racist or that you know they, they've done something that goes counter to the prevailing beliefs about, that society holds. So that is what happens when you look at any data or research on the whole concept of racism and how the quote unquote races navigate that system because the system is designed to favor whites of course because it's designed by whites for whites and it's it's primarily run by white males if you look at the Mm -hmm. highest echelon of our um, organizational structures the highest levels of decision making it's all primarily white males who are at those tables. And, um, and that says a lot because how do you speak for a white female who's not present at that table? Mm-hmm. How do you speak for a black, indigenous, a person of color who they're not at that table to help shape decisions and policies and so on? So yes, in organizations worldwide, world, worldwide, people are talking about what's happening because you cannot not help but talk about it, right? Technology has made it so available. So you can watch George Floyd's murder over and over and over because it's just in the the social media. And, um, And so when we look at ways in which to become more authentic as leaders of organizations, these are the kinds of conversations that need to be had, they are incredibly uncomfortable. They're unsettling only because these conversations will challenge 
the prevailing belief, the, the concept of meritocracy, for example. So as an executive, you would probably in your career have had the opportunity to, you know, maybe dole out um, recommendations, rewards, and, 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 and so on to employees based on the concept or principles of meritocracy, right? So you work hard, you stay late, you do the work, da 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 you will be rewarded. After all, isn't that how I got to where I am? But meritocracy is one of the tenets of this system called racism. So individualism is one of the pillars, meritocracy is one of the pillars, capitalism is one of the pillars, a lot of other isms are the pillars that hold up the system of racism, Roxanne. Mm -hmm. And leaders that I am challenging, that I love what you do, uh, Roxanne, in terms of this concept of authentic leadership. I call it radical leadership, as in this, you know, when you have to do, make a radical change, because this, the situation is so dire, you don't have the time to be deliberating and analyzing. It just has to happen now. So coming from that place of authentic realization, that conscious realization that as leaders, we hold the powers. And we're talking primarily white males in organizations, mm -hmm. white females as well, right? And members of the BIPOC community, because sometimes when they themselves are given positions of authority, the prevailing pressures of the system called racism holds them in, in a certain position. And you know, some of the literature that I've looked at, we've created programs on diversity, equity, and inclusion training. So we've done extensive research. And you know, one would think, for example, President Obama president of one of the most powerful democracy um, in, in, on this earth, that yeah, some change would come, but no, that was not the case. He was one person who, you know, belonged to this BIPOC community and dare he to challenge the prevailing structure of the system that's called racism. He couldn't. So he essentially had to toe the line. And so I think the, what you're doing here by having these conversations, Roxanne, it's powerful because it's an opportunity for people to learn. I'm an educator at heart. I do a lot of work, different work, but at my core is I've been gifted and blessed to be able to help people to educate and education or to educate someone is all about providing that foundation, that structure, that space, so that they can take that information in, internalize it, and through the power of critical thinking, make sense and meaning of it, so they can do something with it. It's not just to keep it to yourself. Yeah, and it's just, you know, when I listen to you, it's a synthesis of both, part, both parts, right? So like when I think of the conversations and my friends always say, don't talk about us on your podcast anymore, uh, <laughs> jokingly. But I said, it's so true because I, I, I'm, these are people I've, you know, they've be, become part of my family because they've known me for so long. And even them, because I, we were talking about things, the perspectives were I, I was blown away because some people are like, can we get over this? Some there people are go. having headaches. Some people were like, you know, okay, well, um, I, I didn't think you, this is one that I got. I didn't think you would have um, perspective on this. And I said, well, why not? <laughs> and I said, okay, well, hold on. If you don't think I should have perspective, have you ever asked me? And that's when people were like, what do you mean asked you? I said, have you asked me how I feel or have felt, even though I've kind of probably kind of flitted away with it, what it's been like to live um, in the environment that I have? And, they, and one friend, and this is one of my best friends said, I would not have ever thought to ask you that question. Mm -hmm. I want to respond to that because, you know, 
we're all victims of the system. Mm. So white people, black people, indigenous people of color, you name it, we're all victims. And the system of racism is designed to keep those who benefit from it ignorant of mm. its far reaching negative impact on others. So BIPOC community are others. And then they now are the recipients of the favors that the system is designed. So your friend could never, unless you raised it with her, she is just not designed or the system is not designed for her to say, hey, Roxanne, I'm hearing all these things happening. You know, how do you feel as a woman of color having to navigate this world that is so biased, you know, towards myself as a white woman and against you as a woman of color? They're not created to uh, designed for, for folks to be aware and to be educated about the system in which they live, but what is encouraged, and I said it earlier, is for folks to think about themselves as individuals and your friend as an individual, again, is a good person, however mm -hmm. way that she wants to define that, would not, not hire a person of color, right? Unless maybe she herself or a family member they need the same position and you know they will default to take care of own but as an individual they're good people mm -hmm. and they're caring people they're loving people right. so we need to have these courageous conversations and we need to be authentic leaders over our lives whether we have formal titles for leaders or no titles but we are leaders of our lives thus we must take that radical approach and, and lead with the courage that we need to lead with. So I, I completely, completely agree. And I've had, you know, little, I'm going to put headbutts along the way since all of this has happened in this year. And I'm the, you know, the most loving and kind person, but I've kind of ran into things that I didn't even know I was getting into. Um, and that's someone that's, you know, been thinking about it and, and, educated on it. And so, but the average person in the workplace, you know, my, my fear is if you don't have leaders that are able to have these deep conscious conversations, the camps that get created between, um, you know, BIPOC and, you know, white employees, how does that get mitigated if it's not done well? That's my, that's, that's what I'm thinking, right? Uh -huh. Like, how does that, how, what have you been seeing? Is it that um, people are coming along because there is more need for these, I'm going to use strategies that are being laid out or rolled out in a good way? Or is it that it's kind of like, still, we're far off from people getting to the point where they can have these conscious conversations? I think we're far off. That's the quick answer. We really are far off. Because if we don't address the I always, I somewhat think in metaphors because, you know, my personality, I do psychometric assessments, there's quite a bit of P in my personality. <laughs> I see possibilities. Um, so the metaphor that I would use is if you are, say, um, a company that operates dams, D-A-M-S, hydro dams, and you've dammed a river and there's a village, a city or a town really below this dam. And one day there's a breach in, in, in a section of the dam that causes massive flooding to occur in the city or the village down below. Where do you start to clean up? You gotta go where the breach is first. Mm -hmm. Because if you start mopping up that water at the, the, the foot of the, the dam, you're just like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You're going to sink no matter what, right? I, that, I love that analogy. So, <laughs> so you have to go back to the root cause. And I would say that the root, let's say the root cause is policy and procedure, which I would say that most companies have some semblance of, of that. So let's say, you know, they're starting to address the dam. 
but they still need to get further along the route. So what would be the next step? Like for a lot of companies that have had these policies, to really believe that we're going in the right direction? Mm-hmm. Great question. And so the root causes of racism, just as how it, it's a belief system, uh, Roxanne. So remember, we are socialized, all of us, to believe many, many things. And so policies and procedures are tools that come out of the realization there's this system within which we're living and working and playing and operating. Some of us are better able to navigate it without losing our lives, while others have to be so careful. You see a police officer, mm-hmm. you, some of you will like, I don't even see the police officer because they're there to serve and protect me, while others will think, oh my God, will I make it home alive? tonight. Okay. So looking at policies and procedures, when we do our training, those are the results. They are tools that we'll use now to facilitate the achievement of changing the system at your organizational level. And if you can have more and more organizations doing this, then that is what we call a critical mass will accrue. And as a result, we'll start to see changes within, say, the city of Winnipeg, the city of Toronto, but it still doesn't change the country called Canada until the majority, we have a greater critical mass of organizations, because we're talking about authentic leadership, but recognize the same is true within households. So a child, the data tells us a a white child as young as age five already knows that they are quote unquote better than a child who does not look like them. Age five. Interesting. Interesting. And, And this is not, you know, uh, data that is made up. This is done by other white scholars who have been studying whiteness and, and, and racial, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion for years. This is credible data. So the dam comes from the houses in which we all reside. We live in organizations for the better part of our lives during the day. And then we go to our homes, that's our other organization, where we spend the remaining half of our lives. And what you and I say within the confines of those walls are what will go to shape the validity, actually, of those policies and the credibility of those policies that are made in organizations. But we must have the courageous conversations and recognize that racism is not an event. Like uh, what is her name is Robin D'Angelo in her book, White Fragility. She speaks about this. Richard Wright from back in the 60s talked about it. James Baldwin talked about it. You know, W.E.B. Du Bois, they're all civil rights leaders, talked about the fact that racism is not an event. It's not something you, one event you do to someone. It's a system mm-hmm. that we operate within. And BIPOC people hold up the system to a certain extent. Right, right. So it really, you know... And I often say, you know, through adversity, we really, it brings us to a knee, our knees because unfortunately it's such a trauma, but it, it's, it, it opens such an opportunity to, to do work that was always necessary from, for, for, for years and years and years, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now it's, it's kind of, it's, it's redirecting us. We need to, 2020 has redirected us in so many ways. Um, and of course, with this exponential effect with um, uh, the BLM movement, it, it it has brought to light things that need to be focused on and to continue. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to, uh, you know, I know we've been really long and I've, I, I think you and I probably could talk for hours on this issue. Um, I'm going to, I want, you know, I know leaders that are listening, they get what you're saying. Um, I know the leaders that I work with, I talk about transparency. I talk about, 
you know, um, you know, what they need to do to keep moral perspective, how to deconstruct their leadership, all those things. But for the person out there that's listening and maybe struggling, right? The average employee that says, you know, I've been, I've been traumatized by this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I know what you're saying, Phyllis, and I know what you're saying, Roxanne, but I still have to go to work where I feel I'm going to use the word, you know, upside down or dysregulated and uncomfortable. Um, what is it that you would say to the average employee that they need to do for themselves? Because the, the organization may be trying really hard and the dam yeah. is being repaired a bit at a time. But we know that's going to take time. What could the average employee have to to do for themselves? And what kind of support should they get or reach out for if they're feeling like this? Mm -hmm. Great question. And I must preface my answer by saying I, too, um, was deeply traumatized by the events of 2020 coming out of the Black Lives Matter movement, the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, all of them. I had spent the better part of, I'm going to say the last 15 years, not listening to the news. I do not feed mm-hmm. my mind or body things that I know are contrary to its well-being and its health. And so I was living in um, a, a world where I was navigating the world, Roxanne, you know, through my own lenses. And I must say, I've had an amazing experience. I've traveled to three different continents multiple times. You know, I've gone through airports with my head wrapped with Mm -hmm. an African scarf or my hair like this. I was never pulled over, pulled aside, nothing. I've always just been able to navigate the world beautifully. I do stand as a Black woman in boardrooms. I speak to some of the top, top leaders, many of whom are in the U.S. We do a lot of work with clients in the U.S. I've always had a very positive experience. Same too with my family. And yet I was deeply traumatized. So I appreciate the question and I, I really welcome it. What I would say is to each person out there, hearing this conversation, having a headache, because it does give one a bit of a headache and a heartache as well, because we're humans and we're good people. I want you to take care of yourselves first. Um, You know, one of the things that really helped me is a practice that I've had for the better part of 20 years. My mornings all start with what I call prayer and devotion and meditation. So I, I wake up early, so I have time to do that. I will meditate for about 30 minutes. I do use a number of different mantras and just, you know, uplifting even sounds, whether it's sounds of monks chanting, um, because that works for me. Find your thing. It doesn't matter what your faith is. If you are a faith-based person, use your own scriptures, your own teachings that will uplift you and spend 10 minutes meditating on a verse or two or something that uplifts you, then take the another 10 or 15 minutes. And if you are courageous enough to start to write out your feelings, just, just write, no editing. I feel like, I think that this makes me feel, because that's what I ended up having to do, even though I've been meditating for over 20 years, almost 20 years, the whole events of 2020, and those things that happened prior left me feeling very vulnerable. I have never been afraid in my life and I felt afraid. I was so glad that travel was shut down because I was scheduled to be in South Asia and South America. And I was thinking, I don't know if I could do that again. And so this process, this practice that I have been practicing and just I just heightened it. So I wanted say to you, take the responsibility to take care of yourself first is one of the reasons why when we're on an airplane, we are reminded by the flight attendants before we take off that we must put our oxygen masks on first in the event of any sort of issues that happens that require those masks to be worn. Put your mask on first, then help others. So take care of yourselves, whether it's through exercise, nutrition, meditation, prayer, devotion, 
crafts, painting, you know, read whatever it is, find your thing and take care of yourself first. Once you've done that and you get to a state where you feel you can start having these courageous conversations, you will not change your whole organization on your own, but you can change someone's life just by extending that proverbial olive branch and say, hey, Phyllis, as a black woman, how are you feeling? Or as an indigenous woman, how are you feeling? A woman of color, a man of color, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So just and zip it. Be like mm -hmm. the rabbit. There's a beautiful video out there. We use this video when we do our mental health and well-being trainings where, you know, this little boy had suffered just some issues with some work that he was doing. And the long and short of it is all the other animals came. Well, you should do this. Let's go do this. But the rabbit was the one that came and without the little boy knowing, sat quietly beside him. And then the little boy was sitting there crying. The rabbit just moved closer and closer until he was touching the little boy, but said nothing. And he sat there in silence until the little boy had done his internal thinking, healing, whatever it is. Then he started coming up with all his own solutions. And the rabbit just sat there silently and just applauded him. So we can be like that rabbit. We don't need to be giving solutions because we're one out of what, 7 billion? <laughs> but what sure. if we all were to just be like that rabbit? Just, so those are some things I would say. Just, just be there, just be there and try to take care of yourself first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, have the faith that, you know, there's a lot of good people in the world that are wanting this change. Yes. And uh, without a doubt, do what you can do in the, you know, two meter radius around yourself. Uh, to your point, that's a, that's a beautiful story. So Phyllis, there's, I, you've shared um, so much wisdom today that I'm, I'm sure my listeners will appreciate this. And um, what am I taking away? I think I'm taking away that um, let's have more of those headaches. Let's have those conversations and let people know um, how you're feeling mm -hmm. um, and to, to make the difference. You know, and I have to also say to myself that sometimes I want to park it myself because I don't want to think about it. So I have to challenge myself like I'm going to challenge everybody else listening to yes, think yes. about it, to, to, to think about what could you make, what could you ask a little bit different or how could you be a bit more conscious, um, you know, to someone that is different from you mm -hmm. in whatever yeah, frame yeah. that is, whatever exactly. frame that is, just to, to think about it and, and try to reflect on potentially what that person's experience might be and to try to learn from that going forward. Um, so Phyllis, for people wanting to, to reach out to you for, um, you know, consulting or uh, training or to learn more about your company, where can they get a hold of you? You can just simply go to ultimatepotentials.com or you can just Google my name, Phyllis Reed Jarvis. Our company will pop up. Uh, we have a very strong uh, social media presence. So you could find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, any of those platforms. But our website is ultimatepotentials.com. Awesome. And that will be in the show notes. So for everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. I, I'm sure you have gained as much as uh, I've gained today. And uh, Phyllis has been so gracious with her knowledge. So again, for anyone needing assistance from me on authentic leadership with your teams, please reach out to RoxanneDurhod.com. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxannederhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.